Yesterday there were crowds, huge crowds. Unless you've been hibernating or really busy and have missed the news or or not been out, then you know that yesterday all around the country and even beyond, young people led a march for their lives. They led demonstrations and rallies, especially coming out of anger and frustration and fear stemming from the Valentine's Day shootings in Parkland, Florida. Young people have begun to lead the way for renewed gun control while calling out our politicians and political process that in so many ways seems paralyzed or frozen. Like with other rallies or demonstrations, especially the last couple of years, there were huge crowds, there was high energy, there were signs, and there was purpose, and there was tremendous resolve. Today, those same public spaces are different. Central Park West has cars running by. Central Park South and 6th Avenue have strollers and joggers. The mall in Washington has sunbathers and volleyball players. Things have moved on. The crowds have dispersed. That's what crowds do. They come together and then they evaporate. Some of that happens in today's scripture. It happens throughout Holy Week, really, if we watch and read along. Crowds begin our scripture today with the Palm Gospel. As Jeff proclaimed it, we, we get into the Spirit as people ascend the hill into Jerusalem. They, they welcome Jesus' coming into town. It's a high parade as people are excited uh, for change, for something new. Um, People surround Jesus as he rides a donkey into Jerusalem. And while the donkey can seem comical at one level, those who knew the old prophecies understood that there was deep political and religious symbolism to this donkey. The donkey was what a Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding. And so for people to yell, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, that was to engage in political action. I met a very nice woman this week who goes to another church in Manhattan, and uh, I was asking her about her church, and she's very happy with her church. And I asked her what she liked best, and she said she loved the pastor, and she especially loved his sermons And then she said, he never preaches about politics. He sticks to the scripture. I held my tongue. But I wondered which scripture exactly he sticks to that has nothing to do with politics. Would that there were such a faith. But if we take any faith seriously, it can get us into trouble. Because it touches what we most believe and who we most deeply and closely aim to follow. Especially in Jesus' day, there seemed to be several of the disciples who themselves were a part of the radical zealot party. Uh, The zealots advocated an overthrow of the Roman Empire through violence if necessary. 
And so over and over again, we see some of this tension with Jesus and his disciples, the disciples who want to get things done now, their way. And Jesus says, no, no, there's another way. There's another way entirely. And so the crowd forms around Jesus, their palms waving, people are excited, they, they go into Jerusalem, but, but then they begin to disperse. A little crowd gathers outside the temple court later for the, the mock trial of Jesus, and, but then, as many places, the crowd seems just as easily swayed by the religious leaders as anyone else. And so when given the choice, they ask that Barabbas be freed, not Jesus. As Jesus is led along the way of the cross, the crowd looks on and to some extent gets involved, but it becomes a smaller and smaller crowd until it seems like Jesus is almost alone carrying his cross. Mark's gospel, the gospel we focus on today, is perhaps the loneliest in so many ways. Huge questions arise for all of us from today's scriptures, and these questions aren't easily solved today or even next Sunday, but the questions hover over Holy Week. If we are to follow Jesus, do we act for justice first and then pray later if there's time? Or do we do the opposite extreme? Do we go deeply within the temple, say our prayers, and and be earnest and eloquent and wait for God to move us one day into action? Or do we struggle to live in the in-between, sometimes getting it right, often failing, but living in faith and aiming for a closer relationship with Jesus day after day after day? Today we begin Holy Week with Palm Sunday, the Sunday of the Passion. Monday and Tuesday we have services, morning prayer in the morning and a a said Eucharist in the evening. And we're reminded through the scriptures of other events that happened in those last days of Jesus' life. Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday all have major themes of, of their own to explore But there's a little tiny pause in the week. For us, it comes on Wednesday night. And it can serve as a reminder, as a reflection almost, of our lives and God's life in the midst of us. On Wednesday night, we offer a little service with a funny Latin name called Tenebrae. Um, A lot of churches offer this service. They can move it around various nights. It's not nearly as old a liturgy or prayer as some of the other prayers we use this week. And so there's a lot more freedom with when to have it and how to have it, frankly. It's a sort of combined service of the readings from morning and evening prayer, along with some other readings and a little bit of drama thrown in. Tenebrae is the Latin word for shadows or darkness. And so in this very simple service, as we do it in this church, through the prayers, through the readings, candles on the freestanding altar are extinguished. And along with the candles, the light in the room goes out. It decreases little by little until we're left in total darkness. 
then by tradition there's a loud voice, um, the strepitus, if you care to know the proper term, or great noise, is, is a clang or a bash or a rumble that represents a number of things people have attributed to the sound. It can represent the earthquake, which is said to have happened at the crucifixion. It can represent the disciples running, fleeing from Jesus, leaving him alone in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's being arrested The sound can represent the tearing of the temple's curtain in Jerusalem. All sorts of things. But after the noise in this funny mid-Holy Week service of Tenebrae, there is darkness and there is silence. The crowd has all gone away. And the silence can feel like failure It can feel like the end of Mark's gospel in its earliest forms. As Jesus dies alone, as he's deserted by all those who proclaimed him king just a few days earlier, the silence can feel like a deep, deep loneliness. In this service of Tenebrae, after a time, usually just a few seconds or a minute, it can seem like an eternity in the, in the darkness, in the loneliness, but a small light appears. Often it's just made by a single flickering flame of a candle. Sometimes it's the last candle of those extinguished earlier, and instead of put out, it's simply hidden underneath the altar and brought out. And the single small light represents the light of Christ, the light that is dimmed, perhaps, that is hidden, maybe, and that seems to completely disappear on Good Friday. I think about all the silence and darkness of Tenebrae when I hear or read Mark's Passion, this version of the crucifixion we've just heard. If you're familiar with the four Gospels, you know that each of the Gospels in the Scriptures have a particular point of view. In Luke's Gospel, there's a lot more attention given to the political and theological aspects of the story. Matthew presents the crucifixion and resurrection as one event, leaving no doubt that Jesus is in fact the King of Kings. In a similar way, the Gospel of John shows Jesus as a total champion. Jesus is in control of everything. He is the true light who shines in the darkness. But Mark's Gospel, this earliest version, sounds like darkness. Darkness that almost seems to have overcome the light. And Jesus is the victim The great preacher and commentator Fred Craddock points out that all the verbs in the gospel show that the action is done to Jesus. Jesus is betrayed and let down by his friends, the disciples. Jesus is arrested and he's taken away. His friends and his disciples desert him. Jesus is taken to the high priest. He's interrogated. He's spit upon. He's beaten. All these things happen to Jesus. He's bound and led away. Pilate tries to cut a deal with the religious leaders of his day to release a prisoner. But again, Jesus is passed over for a murderer. Jesus is handed over. He's beaten. He's made to carry his cross. He is crucified. And darkness overtakes the whole land. Darkness seems to overtake the whole world. And it feels like everyone is gone, even God. 
Mark's version of the crucifixion is not easy to hear. It's not easy to live with, but it's real. It's true. Many of you, many in our world, live too much in that place and know its reality. As shootings at schools and in neighborhoods continue, we wonder where the light has gone. Young people die quietly in the news and often out of the news, far from the crowds of cameras and politicians. In our own lives, there's sometimes often a lot of darkness as sickness invades or illness or death or uncertainty of any kind. For some, it's a dear friend or neighbor who was a young mother and wife and then died. For others, it was a mother who was aging, and so it wasn't really a surprise, but it changed everything. For another, it was a husband and friend who had persevered through transplants and therapies and was thought to be making it, and then no. Another was a mother, a wife, a friend, church leaders, colleagues, a brother, a sister, a child. Darkness is real. The shadows touch our lives with sickness and disease, with addiction and mental illness, with confusion, with chaos. Where is God when we can't see God? Where is God when we can't hear him? Where is God when we no longer feel God's presence? Again, I go back to that little midweek service of Tenebrae for one reminder among many. One essential part of Tenebrae is the reading we've already heard today of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, often sung in beautiful music, Christus Factus Est. The words are prayed even in the darkness. Those words, Christ became obedient for us unto death, even the death, the death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him and gave him a name which is above all names. There is something in that mystery, something in that movement of humility and self-offering and suffering alongside and in place of that pierces the darkness, that, that cuts like a knife through the black shroud, flooding the place with light. And so God doesn't let the light go out, even when we may not see it, even when it feels like something is in the way, even when it feels like the sun isn't shining. It's just on the other side of the world. One of my favorite versions of this service of Tenebrae follows that normal pattern of readings and music with decreasing light, like I described. The the candles are extinguished one by one. And as the light goes out, there's a kind of sadness that falls over the space. It's an unspecific and large sadness. It seems to include all the world's pain, all the world's heartache, all of our questioning. But then in the darkness, just as our eyes are beginning to adjust to this new reality, one perceives the faintest hint of light. 
One wonders in this darkness, is it, am I imagining the light? Is it really happening? And then one begins to see it shifting and changing. That, that funny Latin word tenebrae comes to life as it means shadows, and it's, it's shadows dancing in the space. And then one perceives from the very back of the church in the darkness, one child walks forward with a candle. As the child moves through the space, the the light dances all over the place. The shadows dance. This light from one little tiny candle is magnified. It's larger than even seems possible. Because it's light that's fueled with hope, with joy, with expectation. The light shines in the darkness. The light that shines never goes out. It just changes sometimes. It seems to go out. But here it is, again, faint but full, small but strong, vulnerable yet eternal. The liturgies of Holy Week give us various opportunities to seek this light. We're invited to slow down, to set aside the calendar and our to-do list, and just for a few days, maybe even put on hold our endless list of shoulds or oughts to Whether we spend time in this church or another church or a garden or just in quiet somewhere else, I encourage you to notice the dark places in your life. Let faith take you there, but know also that there is light. The light will come. The light will grow. Even if you can't feel the warmth of the light, even if we can't get a glimpse of it yet, the faith of the church assures us that what has come into being in Christ is life, and the life is the light of all people. Sometimes it feels like the crowd leaves us, and we're all alone. Sometimes it feels like we're with the crowd, and other times against the crowd, or like we can't even find the crowd. Wherever we may be, Christ leads us forward in a way of prayer and action as we follow his love through the cross, into the tomb, and even into the eternal love of God. May the Spirit help us to be faithful. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.